Jeff Siskin stood outside an ordinary-looking condo, key fob in hand. It was a cold Canadian day, and Jeff was looking forward to getting inside. As he was about to enter, another man wearing a gray hoodie and backpack brushed past. The man subtly waved his hand near Jeff's key fob. What looked like an innocent gesture was rather insidious. The man had an RFID reader hidden inside his sleeve near the wrist. Using the device, he was able to pick up the signal from Jeff's RFID key fob and capture its data. He could then transfer all that information onto a blank card. Armed with a clone, this thief had unrestricted access to the residential complex in a matter of seconds. The RFID card that was supposed to keep Jeff safe actually left him vulnerable, and thousands of others across the globe were exposed to this same threat. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a Spotify original from ParCast. Every Monday and Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our second episode on radio frequency identification, or RFID for short. Last time, we learned how these tags, or chips, were created by the Soviet Union during the Cold War. The U.S. developed its own version in the 1970s and used it for logistics, like tracking nuclear materials traveling across the states. Before long, the tag saw an increase in commercial use. By the early 2000s, around 15 businesses, including P&G, Walmart, Coca-Cola, and Target, began using RFID tags. But their ability to gather consumer information raised several alarms. People feared that corporations would use RFID to track their location or subtly infringe on their lives. Today, we'll assess a few conspiracy theories about the tags. We'll examine if they can really be used to track people and invade their privacy. We'll also determine whether or not the U.S. government is implanting these chips without our consent. And finally, We'll analyze if companies are disclosing the full extent of the technology's vulnerabilities to their customers. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd started to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had 
might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This is not the sound of a stream running through the mountains. It's water from a leaking pipe trickling down a stairway. That's not a frog splashing into a lake. It's a piece of sheetrock falling into a puddle on a kitchen floor. And that's not a hiker taking a deep breath of mountain air. It's a homeowner gasping at the sight of a $12,000 water damage repair bill. 40% of homeowners have experienced water damage. Protect your home with the Moen Smart Water Monitor and Shutoff. Moen. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Typically, the RFID tags we interact with are paper-thin computer chips with antennas. They often look like stickers with metallic lines running through them. They're hard to detect, and depending on the strength of their signal, they can be read through clothing and even walls, meaning anyone can scan them at any time. Despite this worrisome loophole, RFID technology isn't going anywhere. It's automated thousands of tasks across numerous industries, becoming a subtle yet crucial building block of our economy. But many have raised concerns about its ability to track other things, like people. This leads us to conspiracy theory number one. Certain institutions are using RFID tags to collect more data on us than we originally assumed. As the tags grow more popular, more entities are gaining access to our private lives without our knowledge. In late August 2012, two schools from the Texas Northside Independent School District in San Antonio made a shocking move. Anytime students were on campus, they were required to wear smart ID cards, which had RFID chips implanted in them. As they moved from class to class, students were displayed as little dots on a school monitor. This form of control wasn't without its purpose. The school's budgets were directly tied to average attendance, meaning if students weren't present during roll call, a school could lose part of its funding. One school's allocated amount indicated that absences had cost them as much as $175,000 a day. But there was a loophole. According to district rules, students didn't have to be in their classroom to get counted. They just had to be on campus. This was great news for school officials. They could tag students with RFID cards and their funding wouldn't be jeopardized. But a number of privacy foundations, including the American Civil Liberties Union, spoke out against the move, claiming it placed school profits over student privacy. These watchdog groups pointed out a serious flaw. The information on the cards wasn't encrypted. 
anyone with a reader could pull data from a student's card and duplicate their ID, meaning they ran the risk of an intruder or one student posing as another for attendance. These concerns were well-grounded, too. Just a few years prior, a Philadelphia school district used the webcams on the laptops at issue to take pictures of students. Officials even reprimanded one student for bad behavior captured in his own home. But the Northside Independent School District officials claim there was little opposition from the students or parents. That is, until sophomore Andrea Hernandez challenged her school's mandate in late 2012. Andrea refused to wear the badge because she believed it violated her religious convictions. According to her family, the tracking chip was similar to the Mark of the Beast, a satanic symbol referenced in the Book of Revelation. But when the school district accommodated Andrea's concerns and offered her a badge without a chip, Andrea refused that too. This was apparently the breaking point. The school suspended Andrea for not complying. The Hernandez family replied by filing a lawsuit, which ended in January 2013 when a judge ruled in favor of the school district. Despite winning, both San Antonio schools canceled their RFID project after only a year. The total effort to implement the tags had cost over a quarter million dollars. But data revealed that attendance only increased by 0.5% and generated $136,000. It just wasn't worth the effort. Since then, smart IDs in schools have stayed out of the spotlight. Plain barcodes and old-fashioned attendance seem to be more effective. But that hasn't stopped RFID manufacturers from trying to push their tech onto schools. They tout the chips as useful tools for student safety. According to them, smart IDs can locate inventory, prevent unauthorized people from entering buildings, and help teachers track their class in the event of an emergency. It's clear the technology has pros and cons. Not using it can expose students to certain dangers, like making their campus less secure. But implementing it can expose them to other risks, like data theft. Or even the possibility that tags can be used for stalking. Unfortunately, this has happened in other industries using RFID. In the mid-2000s, then-Governor of Illinois, Rod Blagojevich, brought an electronic-based open-road toll system to the state. The devices, called iPasses, sent electronic payments to nearby toll booths, reducing traffic congestion. Since then, 90% of all toll payments are made electronically, as 6.8 million people have started using RFID transponders. A woman who we'll call Jane was one of those people. And while her iPass may have increased her convenience, it also decreased her privacy and safety. Jane and her boyfriend Rick had a daughter together, but their relationship soured around 2017. Rick moved out, but he began to heckle Jane by calling the police and requesting wellness checks on their daughter. When investigators went to Jane's home, they found nothing wrong. Despite that, Rick continued requesting wellness checks. They grew so frequent that police suggested Jane get a restraining order. Jane complied. She even took precautions like getting a new cell phone number, changing her email, and buying a new car. 
This only drove Rick to new extremes. To go around the restraining order, he sued a third party, a dispute which Jane wasn't even a part of. Rick then used that lawsuit as a cover and subpoenaed the Illinois Tollway. Somehow, this forced them to hand over Jane's iPass data. Neither the court nor the tollway informed Jane that her data had been shared. At the time, the state didn't require anyone to notify the driver being investigated that the information had been obtained. For reasons that are unclear, the Illinois Tollway also gave Rick Jane's new phone number, email, credit card, and license plate, all while Jane had an order of protection against him. Technically speaking, Rick didn't violate the order of protection or break any other law. But the information he'd accessed left Jane understandably frightened. After finding out about the lawsuit, she constantly wondered if he was monitoring her through her toll activity. Out of self-preservation, she adjusted her driving routes. Jane's experience brings up an important fact. In Illinois, police and lawyers have used subpoenas to obtain driver data for as long as the tag-enabled toll roads have been in service. Like in 2018, when one divorce attorney from Illinois used RFID to prove that her client's ex-wife secretly got a new job. Another case used the technology to prove that an ex-husband was living with his girlfriend and therefore not entitled to receive alimony. The information is so easy to access that one attorney even said, quote, for a $25 check and the cost of having a lawyer prepare a subpoena, you can get a treasure trove of information. That's a terrifying reality, especially if you're unaware and have a desperate ex-partner or anyone willing to chase down your RFID data. Thankfully, some lawmakers in Illinois are campaigning to implement better laws, and there are more protective measures in other states. In California, police must obtain a warrant before collecting toll information, and in most cases, they must notify the person of their data's analysis within five days. Despite the apparent consensus in California, people throughout the country remain divided. Some experts believe that location data collected by RFID is essentially GPS tracking. Other experts believe that this technology isn't nearly as revealing as actual location or cell phone data and should be less protected. Cases like Jane's are terrifying, but aside from things like student truancy and criminal cases, it doesn't seem like RFID is being used to track people in a massive way across multiple industries. And it's not like the ones who do use it are so interested in the intricate details of someone's private life. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being undoubtedly true, I give this conspiracy that institutions are using RFID tags to collect more data on us than we originally assumed, a 6 out of 10. Fair, but as of right now, there are still people in power who can access your information. And clearly the system is pretty easy to exploit, at least in some states. Because of that, I give this theory an 8 out of 10. We've been considering what RFID means in terms of objects we use or wear. But the truth is, we may need to consider its repercussions if these chips were to enter our bodies. 
Coming up, we examine whether some vaccinations are trying to covertly implant microchips. Wayne Simmons spent 27 years undercover for the CIA. When he retired from spy work, he got a big break. Terrorism analyst on Fox News. Then he met Kent Clisby. So I'm a real CIA guy. This is total nonsense. I'm Alex French, and I'm here to figure out who's telling the truth. Was Wayne Simmons a spy, or was he nothing but a con man? Imposters is a Spotify original from Parcast. Follow and listen exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. We know that drivers have their whereabouts tracked every day by RFID and that stalkers can even access this information via things like toll road records. Still, policymakers by and large have brushed past privacy concerns. Some people believe this lack of government oversight is intentional and a component of a much broader plot against the American people. This leads us to conspiracy theory number two, The U.S. government is trying to inject RFID chips into U.S. citizens without their consent. We're going to address two subsets of this theory because they do have some crossover. The first is based on religious grounds, as some far-right religious groups fear RFID because they believe these chips are tied to a satanic marking. The second is based on medical grounds, There are some people who are skeptical of vaccinations because they believe the government is using modern medicine to chip its own citizens. To clarify, the beliefs about a satanic mark and secretly implanting chips with a vaccine are very different, yet they share common ground because the same groups of people often believe in both. The first belief that RFID is actually a satanic marking stems from the last book in the New Testament of the Bible, the Book of Revelation. It's a highly symbolic section that deals with the end times. Essentially, it says that the forces of good will fight against a creature referred to as the beast. Revelations claims that the beast will try to control society for a time, and at one point it states, quote, The beast required everyone to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead, and no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. The beast's number is 666. There has been much debate in certain religious circles about what the mark actually is. Some think it's a literal tattoo. Others believe it's a new kind of label. Apparently, some even think it's a mark that has already infiltrated our society, the barcode. In the early 1970s, a man named George Lohrer worked for IBM and designed the barcode as we know it. A series of lines which give products a number known as the Universal Product Code, or UPC. As Lohrer and his team developed the technology, 
Word spread that their creation was actually the mark of the beast. Neither Laura nor his colleagues made the connection right away. In one of the first instances it was brought to their attention, an IBM executive named Bill Selmeyer was approached by a man in a Los Angeles grocery store. The individual told Selmeyer the barcode the store was using was actually the mark of the beast. Bill left the scene confused and unsettled. It wasn't until later that he realized what the picketer had been referencing. Bill largely dismissed the observation as an overreaction. After all, the UPC was meant to track food and drinks, not people. Some circles refused to back down. They were convinced that IBM wanted to place UPCs on people as well. Early test footage showing the barcode scanners in action were labeled with the letters FGH. Some assumed that the letters stood for head and forearm, the areas where the mark will be placed. Although Lorer dismissed this as pure bunk, he did notice the connection between his invention and biblical prophecies. For example, in Lorer's day, to track inventory, IBM assigned numbers instead of names to its own products. The UPC scanners were assigned the number 3666, a sequence eerily similar to the number of the beast. But the most alarming connection religious followers made between RFID and the mark of the beast was that people actually started implanting them in their hands. As we learned last time, a small number of people in the U.S. have voluntarily received chip implants. These can store their medical records, unlock doors, or purchase food at specialized machines. But those participating still make up far less than other countries like Sweden. And Sweden already has low numbers. As of 2018, there were about 4,000 Swedes with the implant. Some fear this won't remain optional for long, which is where the line starts to blur between the two subsets of our theory. Certain religious groups believe that the supposed satanic U.S. government will require the implants. Meanwhile, some people who aren't religious may fear requisite chipping because of the government's history of questionable surveillance practices. Invasive supervision continues to be a very real part of American life. For example, we know from our episode on PRISM surveillance that the NSA had the ability to collect nearly all the digital information on U.S. citizens after 9-11. This practice was completely illegal, and most people were unaware of it until 2013, when Edward Snowden broke the story. Knowing this, some people are sure the government may be using other methods to control and monitor them specifically through electronic means like RFID. It all started with a four-minute-long video post on Facebook in November 2020. It showed manipulated footage from various news sources spliced together, and it implied that Bill and Melinda Gates were developing a tracking microchip in partnership with the U.S. government it would be injected into people who receive the COVID-19 vaccine. After being shared 27,000 times on Facebook alone, the video was removed and deemed fake. But this censorship only stoked the fire amongst believers. They thought it was proof that the government was just trying to hide the truth from getting out. As it turns out, the conspiracy spiraled out of a legitimate research project 
published back in 2019. Scientists at MIT had been experimenting with an advanced procedure, sometimes referred to as quantum dot tattoo systems. It was all theoretical, but the study yielded some fascinating results. Their research showed that a collection of microneedles could be used to inject a vaccine along with a special invisible dye into the human body. This pigment could actually store vaccine records to be read at a later time. The purpose was to aid people like refugees who may not have physical documentation of their vaccination history. So, yes, in the future, it's possible the government could use this technology to track the records of certain patients. However, MIT's study was independent, and it was meant for medical purposes. It wasn't designed to aid government surveillance or geolocating individual citizens. As for Bill Gates, we know he was implicated in the matter because his philanthropic foundation funded a portion of MIT's research. Fearmongers took that information out of context and used it to fabricate an entirely new narrative, claiming Gates was in on a government plot. I agree. But people can still have legitimate reasons for being suspicious of the government. We have well-documented evidence, like the Tuskegee experiment, which ran from 1932 to 1972. Over the course of 40 years, researchers from the public health services monitored the progression of syphilis in poor black American sharecroppers. Fifteen years into the study, penicillin became the most effective method of combating the disease. But PHS workers convinced local physicians to not provide it to the test subjects. This ultimately resulted in blindness, mental illness, and even death. It was a deeply cruel and tragic experiment. And given the government's track record, it's easy to understand the mistrust. True. But the fact of the matter is, even one of the tiniest RFID chips wouldn't fit through a standard needle, which rules out the chipping through injection theory. Furthermore, the human body contains large amounts of water, which kills radio signals. An RFID chip probably wouldn't even work. And many U.S. states have banned companies from requiring their employees to get chipped. Frankly, things don't look good for this theory. Prophecies about a beast and its mark do exist in the Bible, but evidence that it's a barcode or RFID chip is purely speculative. The only thing remotely true is that MIT did conduct a study about using a vaccine to track certain amounts of information in people. However, the existence of this study was grossly distorted by certain parties to come to baseless conclusions. Given all the mysticism and falsehood surrounding this theory, I have to give it a 1 out of 10. I agree. This theory is a 1 out of 10. Even though RFID chips aren't in our bodies, we can't deny that they're certainly on them these days. We've discussed how they're in our credit cards, our passports, and even the key fobs for our cars. Many of these items emit low-frequency radio waves that can be picked up by anyone with a reader. And while the government may not be interested in collecting the data from these signals, there are countless others who are. 
Coming up, how RFID exposes us to an entirely new world of security risks. Now, back to the story. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever since the introduction of RFID tags, unfounded rumors about its connections to the Antichrist and government surveillance have proliferated. But these are still fringe narratives. The predominant belief is that chips actually make our lives more convenient and secure. The reality is that's not quite the case. This leads us to conspiracy theory number three. RFID vendors and their merchants aren't disclosing the full extent of their vulnerability. RFID has inherent loopholes which can lead to security breaches. The ease with which hackers can access the data on grocery items, ID cards, and even cars has become a rampant problem. The case of Jeff Siskin's stolen condo key is just one example of this. After the thief secretly copied the condo's key fob, he gained access to the entire complex. This meant he could come and go as he pleased without anyone being the wiser. With so much access, the thief could theoretically scan the cards of other residents and possibly gain access to their homes. But he didn't do that. In fact, he didn't steal anything that day because his only objective was to see if he could breach the data. This man's name was Tim Martin. He was one of many people hired by organizations to simulate how someone might hack their security systems in order to highlight vulnerabilities. Jeff was actually in on the test, too. As an investigative journalist, he was looking into how simple it might be for Tim to access someone's home by hacking their key fob. Simple is almost an understatement. The only equipment Tim needed was a gray hoodie backpack, and inexpensive RFID reader, a circular disc about the size of his hand, which he positioned near his wrist. From there, a wire ran up Tim's arm and into his backpack, connecting the reader to a laptop. Once the experiment was finished, Tim showed the journalist how easy it was to clone his data and transfer it all onto a blank RFID card. Part of the reason it was so easy is because Jeff's data wasn't encrypted. Most commercial RFID tags, like the ones that grant access to buildings, aren't. It's just too expensive for companies. A regular chip costs around 25 cents compared to those with encryption capabilities, which are a steep $5 each. Ultimately, this leaves most commercial RFID tags exposed to cloning or data tampering. 
Chips have writable areas in them that store product information. For instance, in a store, someone could scan the code of an item, access its writable section, and edit the cost to be significantly lower. Yet most companies don't believe enough people are skilled enough to hack their tags. As such, they leave them unsecured. Needless to say, not all hackers are ethical contractors seeking to shore up loopholes like Tim Martin. Countless others use their knowledge in nefarious ways, like opening restricted access doors or stealing cars. Take, for instance, in 2019, when a woman named Heather Moore woke up one morning and was shocked by what her security camera had captured the night before. A man had walked into her backyard, effortlessly unlocked her car, and nearly drove away. He didn't get very far because he accidentally backed into her porch and fled on foot. Heather was deeply concerned. She thought people could only steal cars through breaking a window and hot-wiring. But according to investigative officers, thieves have resorted to more sophisticated methods of breaking in by using RFID readers. According to police reports, this problem has been happening for years. Thousands of drivers have been affected, from people like Heather Moore to international soccer star David Beckham. Two of Beckham's custom BMWs were stolen the same way. Car makers have tried to adapt, but the problem persists. In 2020, researchers from Belgium and the UK revealed how tech-savvy thieves had been exploiting an RFID vulnerability in several new car models, namely those made by Tesla, Toyota, Hyundai, and Kia. These carjackers use a method similar to how Tim Martin hacked a supposedly secure key fob. After swiping an RFID reader near a car key, they obtain information, allowing them to disable a piece of equipment inside the car, known as an immobilizer. An immobilizer is an RFID-enabled device that communicates with a car's key fob. If the chip in the fob has the correct information, the immobilizer allows the ignition to start. From there, carjackers can use a screwdriver instead of a key to turn the ignition. Using a screwdriver is pretty ironic, actually. Before these tags were placed in cars, thieves often used screwdrivers to break in the old-fashioned way. As one researcher noted, the vulnerabilities of RFID have downgraded car security back to what it was in the 1980s. When reporters reached out to the car makers, their responses varied. Some didn't have a statement. Others claimed the issue only existed in older models. The only company that offered any concrete solution was Tesla, which issued a firmware update. It's a disappointing reaction, but car manufacturers clearly think the problem isn't big enough to do anything about it. In lieu of an upgrade or recall, the best idea they could recommend was for car owners to use a steering wheel lock. In addition to cars, researchers have discovered that credit cards are susceptible to RFID attacks. Using readers, criminals can gain access to credit card numbers and expiration dates. Armed with just that information, they can piece together the rest of a person's data to commit identity theft or sell any of that data on the dark web. These studies have been published in countless articles, journals, and even on YouTube. 
This has caused widespread concern among the general public, leading to the development of numerous RFID-blocking products, like wallets, bags, fanny packs, and even skinny jeans. These items are lined with copper and nickel, two elements known for their ability to block radio waves. It's unclear how much of a difference these products are making in the real world because identity and information theft are often underreported to law enforcement. But the number of anti-theft products on the market shows us a disturbing trend. We've accepted the fact that our data could get stolen at any moment. And we're the ones who have taken on the responsibility of keeping it safe. From all the ways hackers have outsmarted the tech, it appears that RFID chips are far more liable to security breaches than we care to admit. Sure, it might take a little more hardware and tech know-how, but computers can decrypt even coded chips with relative ease. For those reasons, I'm giving conspiracy theory number three, that this technology is far more susceptible than vendors want us to believe, a generous eight out of 10. They're certainly vulnerable to attacks, but that requires a highly specialized knowledge. And I don't get the sense that those selling RFID-chipped products are actively plotting to hide these facts from the public. Frankly, nothing's perfect. Every security system comes with advantages and disadvantages. I have to give this conspiracy a 6 out of 10. When RFID was introduced, it was embraced so quickly that its potential weakness fell to the wayside. But that's basically the trajectory of all new tech. It's touted as the next big thing and people adopt it. Only once hackers exploit it does the public become aware of the risks. The good news is that MIT and Texas Instruments have developed a highly specialized encrypted chip, rendering most attacks useless. By updating RFID chips to more encrypted versions, we can hopefully protect our data from illegal use. The more complicated issue is how to stop entities from taking our data legally. It's no secret that corporations, from tech to apparel, can collect information through our browsing habits and sell those statistics to advertisers. While RFID isn't fully responsible for the technology landscape we find ourselves in, it has helped to set the stage. We've been desensitized to invasive practices and slowly accepted that fewer parts of our private lives actually remain private. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Monday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Robert Heckert, with writing assistance by Mackenzie Moore and Allie Wicker. Fact-checking by Bennett Logan and research by Bradley Klein. Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. Mm-hmm.